This week on the Dregzine Podcast, Chad Reynolds joins me to talk all things horsepower wars, just drag racing stuff in general. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put in the beans. Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. After our uh, Lights Out 11 break, we're back with a great episode with Chad Reynolds. And just like I stated earlier, it's all about horsepower wars and just drag racing stuff in general. And it's it's a pretty fun conversation with Chad. So without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine Podcast is horsepower lover and beard aficionado Chad Reynolds. What's up, Chad? <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm good, dude. Loving life. Sitting here in the uh, cold and drizzly weather in Texas right now. Yeah, I, uh, you know, being from the Midwest this time of year, the weather's a crapshoot. And, you know, we were both down at Lights Out, and I didn't avoid it there. I come back here, and it's all over the place. So I'm just I'm just ready for it to either be really hot or really cold. Let's just stop the rest of this business now. Yeah, I'm with you. I, uh, I do, um, you know, I do miss my California weather. I am not going to lie. That one I definitely miss. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, it, it's, you gotta, you gotta weigh out, you know, the good and the bad and in the grand scheme of things. I mean, nobody's going to hold a telethon for me since the weather in Dallas is clearly better, better than a lot of the places in the country where they have snow and all that crap, you know? So, yeah, you, you got to kind of, uh, you, you take the good with the bad in different situations for sure. And definitely, uh, the weather in Texas, most of the time, although maybe at hot, it's still better than, you know, other places in this, uh, States of United. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have fun at, uh, at lights out? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, those events, you just, you go, once you, after you, you go to your first couple, you know what you're getting into. So I fully, you know, embrace sleep deprivation and exposure to elements for many days. So, you know, I, I always have fun when I'm at the racetrack. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, uh, I have a hard time with, with ducks races sometimes because, um, I mean, they're super fun and I'm so glad to be there and hang out with everybody. And obviously it's being you know, fun to race and all those things. But, um, but the, um, the challenges with schedule, you know, and keeping the event rolling sometimes just make me want to scream at those events. So I have to like pull my namaste moment and open another beer basically is how I deal with that. You know, I, there's some days I've had people at that event out of more than any other event offer me alcohol and oh god yes I you know I, I can't drink them on when I'm when I'm on duty you know because if I get clipped by a race car and I'm drunk that's a that's a little bit of a problem but right. yeah that just the the com, the insanity of that event and how it has to be run and you know all the prep and just the yeah, it's it's a different kind of schedule than when you go to let's say an NHRA event where they're you know they're keeping that train in line by you know the practical minute. So it, it's definitely a different animal for sure. And if you're not ready for that, then you best study up because it's going to be a long weekend otherwise. Well, yeah, and, and it lights out especially because it's just so much bigger than No Mercy. Um, it's already another level of crazy. But I swear to God, once you enter the the grounds at South Georgia Motorsports Park. The, the clock changes and it is immediately actually the week of Mardi Gras. Um, yeah. <laughs> whether, whether the date lines up or, or not, it is Mardi Gras in the pits every single night. And, uh, God, you, you I don't know how we survive it sometimes. You, you know? see stuff at that race. You don't see anywhere else. Like, you know, back where our, our live feed trailer was like way on the back 40, I'm pretty sure there was like some sort of festival going on, I think, as like part of the event. Cause this dude had like bumping, like bumping, bumping music, club lights, the whole deal. And, you know, I kind of wanted to go check that out. But, you know, when you're running on no sleep, sleep also, you know, kind of sounds good too. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, we consumed a lot of alcoholic beverages and a lot of barbecue on Thursday during the rain out portion. Um, and uh, luckily, I was at a point at 1130 at night where I was like, you know, I feel like a million dollars right now. 
and it can only go downhill from here. So I'm going to use a rare moment of clarity to decide that I'm going to bed. And I, uh, I went into the trailer and, and the boys tried to get me up a couple of times, um, you know, by talking through the window kind of deal. But man, I slept like a champ and I felt like a million dollars when I woke up in the morning, which I cannot say for everybody. Yeah, I, I learned that lesson at a young age that hangovers at the racetrack are just that's that's not the party you want to be invited to ever. Oh, no. You know, yeah, I, I'm with you because, uh, you know, every once in a while you got to as an adult and, you know, I'm 47 now. So you start to get my age. You realize that you don't like a hangover, but every once in a while you got to have at least one or two a year. So, you know, you still got it that you can at least hang a little bit. Um, but the um, but having one at the racetrack when you're trying to work on the car is just, oh, my God, it makes my head hurt right now. And I didn't even have a hangover at all that this week. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you, dude. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you just it, it's it's a lesson you got to learn sometimes. And some people just never learn the lesson. But, you know, you just you just got to kind of kind of roll with it and you know to, to kind of uh shift gears a little bit you know as a media person sometimes you don't get to tell your own story per se because you know you're busy telling everybody else's stories but you know how did you you know what brought you to the world of drag racing wow you know i grew up at um i i grew up in northern california uh, basically at fremont drag strip and uh you know my dad uh, was, uh, you know, part of a group of guys that, you know, raced together every weekend and they had done so before my dad even met my mom. And, um, and we, um, you know, we, we just, that's what our family did. We drag raced, you know, and, and my dad had, well, still has a, a 68 Z 28 Camaro that he bought brand new, um, that has been an NHRA stock eliminator car most of its life. Um, it has, you know, 40,000 miles on it or something like that. Um, it, it spent only two years on the road as a regular street car. Um, the first year he had it. And then, um, then when I was in kindergarten, my mom drove it every day also. Um, but it, you know, it, that's what we did. And, and I grew up at Fremont in a time when, uh, you know, we, we all were hearing, you know, Steve Evans voice and, and, you know, and Dave McClelland. And um, I didn't know at the time, cause I was a little kid. I didn't know that the guy that was announcing who was also handing me time slips when I would go up into the tower was Steve Evans. Like it didn't compute to me, you know? And, and so I grew up around Steve Evans cause he was one of the owners of the racetrack back then. And, uh, Oh wow. Yeah. And, and it was cool. And now I, I am, incredibly privileged um, since I got into this industry um, to have had the opportunity to meet and work with Dave McClellan and become friends with the whole McClellan family. Um, I think Mac is one of the finest human beings to ever hold a microphone. Um, and as much event announcing as I do and, and Brian does and, and everybody else, um, we're all complete worthless hacks compared to Dave McClelland. I mean, is the voice of God. Um, and so, but, but yeah, that's what I grew up with. I mean, I grew up with going to the drag races all the time. And then, you know, we couldn't afford to race, you know, when I was a little kid, um, you know, when I got to be, you know, uh, I don't know, 12 or 13 or 14, we, we didn't have the money to race all the time. And so we, we turned into more hot rodders and we would go to good guys shows in Northern California and do that kind of thing. And then, um, in the late nineties, I moved to, to Texas and, um, you know, and I lived here, um, for almost 11 years before moving to Southern California and now back to Texas again. Um, but when we were here, I was working, I, I always worked in the high tech industry and, you know, like wore a suit and tie and crap and, um, and then decided that wasn't for me anymore and started building hot rods and, um, and, you know, for a living. And I'd been building cars already for fun. That's what we did, you know? And, um, and we had my, my 69 Camaro, we got 1976, um, and, or sorry, 1978, I was six years old. Um, and it was, uh, NHRA national championship car. 
Uh, it had won the championship twice. It holds like 11 national records and it became mine several years later. But, um, but cars have just always been the thing. And then once we started working, you know, in the, in the industry, it just became, you know, more fun. Um, and now, you know, hold on, dude, sorry. No worries. No worries. <laughs> we, dog barking. we have guests, Otis. guests by the dogs. It happens. Yeah. Hey, come here. It's his street and there's neighbors across the street that are, you know, standing in their driveway. God damn them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dog, doggos don't like un, unauthorized without passport no, exactly. visitors. Yes, exactly. It's the cable guy or something at the neighbor's house. So, hey, dude. No, let's get down. Yeah. No, come on. I think that's come a first on. on the show to have a... Uh, a dog make its special guest appearance as well. Yeah, right. So we just uh, we just roll with uh, it here. Otis the shop dog, you know, he's good. Yeah. Um, but so when you know, when I started building cars and doing all that, um, and then announcing was just by accident. Um, and you know, we uh, you know, I went from having the hot rod shop, I built a 56 Chevy station wagon that got pretty famous. And, uh, and that just sort of pushed me into the, the aftermarket business when, um, when the guys at hot rod thought it would be a good idea after I went on the first drag week. Um, and I had done some TV stuff with them for hot rod TV, just because I was, you know, on the event. Um, they decided to hire me to announce for power tour and some of their other events. And it's just sort of was downhill from there, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's where it all began and went down. Oh yeah. Yeah. I always find it interesting to hear people's stories about kind of what got them in the cars and racing in the industry. And there's a, the majority of the time it all follows that same kind of storyline. It's always family. Most of the time, it's always family. Somehow, someway, there's a family tie to it. And I think that really carries over. If you're at the track, there's just there's this family atmosphere. And it's it's really a bond, I think, that's unique to motorsports that you see nowhere else in any other any form of sport. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly because, you know, I think it's at a bunch of levels, right? I mean, you look at, you know, you look at me and, and Biggin, you know, Eric Yost, Lyle, Chris Bailey, Jason Smith, and Peter Harrell, you know, our team from, from the 10K drag shootout. I mean, those dudes are family. They're, they're my brothers. I would do anything for those guys. Right. And, um, and, and they all feel the same way. And, and so there's that family, right. And then there's your next level extended race family, right. The people that you just see at the races, you know, you, you may only talk to them, um, you know, once a month or every other month or something like that, or every few weeks or whatever between races. But when you're at the races, it's like, you've never been apart, you oh, know? Yeah. And then, and then there's the, the real family side of it, right? You know, fathers getting sons involved and daughters involved and all of those things. And, you know, that part of it is, uh, it is cool, you know, and we, we really have to encourage that, you know? Um, and we've done a lot of cool events over the years that, you know, sort of push that. Um, and, and it's really important to me. I, I honestly, I had a phone call earlier today with Matt Frost, who, you know, is the brainchild behind Rocky Mountain Race Week. And, and I worship that event, that event. I've been involved in that since the get go. Um, I help Matt out whenever possible and however he wants me to, um, because I just, I'm in, I believe in that event so thoroughly. And, and one of the coolest things about that event is it's so family, um, oriented. And when I say that, I don't mean like, you know, everybody's a teetotaler and like not, you know, you know, having fun or partying or any of that, but I mean, it's an event that welcomes families to follow along via road week, um, which is a whole other entry that you can do where you just don't race, but you get to participate in everything else. Um, and it makes it cool because all those road weekers that are guys that really don't care about drag racing their own car, but they want to be a part of the event then they pay half price and they come on the whole trip and they have a good time. They're allowed to help 
um, a competitor one time during the week on the road. They're not allowed to do anything on anybody's car at an event, you know, at the racetrack. Um, and they can't carry any parts or tools or any of that stuff for anybody. But they can still come. And so what you find is that you'll have, you know, you'll have a couple of dudes that are running a car and their wives are in a rental or a minivan or a suburban or something with the kids in the backseat having a great time following along and getting to watch, you know, dad do cool stuff. And um, and that's pretty neat. You know, you also see families where, you know, you got the dad and a, and a son and a sister who all have their own car they're running. But then you got a couple other siblings that are just following along in the daily driver just so they can be there and watch. And that family side of it is just too much fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, you know, when you can get stuff like that going, you know, that definitely takes it to a, to a whole new level and everybody can be there and, and enjoy it in some capacity or another. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the coolest things about, um, you know, racing in general, whether it's drag racing or pro touring or whatever, um, is that you you get to see people in a competitive environment and see how different they are. You get to see how different you are in a competitive environment, right? Um, you know, we all know people that you never really thought of as very competitive, and then you put them on a go-kart with a group of their buddies, and you're like, holy crap, dude, this guy is on. You know what I mean? It's like... Oh like, yeah. Like, like I thought you were tame and you're a killer, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, that, you know, company laser tag, all of a sudden the competitiveness comes out and things get crazy in a hurry. Exactly. Exactly. But it's also part of it where you have this, you have this different bond with somebody when you have lined up and raced against them, or you've seen what they've had to overcome in order to make it to the next round. Um, you know, that'll give you a whole other respect for a competitor when you see them have to thrash to make it to the next round. That one for me is a big respect deal because there is nothing worse than somebody who just immediately throws in the towel without any investigation as to whether or not the problem is fixable. Um, that just doesn't compute for me. I'm the guy that goes, okay, we are going to assume we can fix this in the time we have until we prove otherwise, right? So that way you investigate what your solutions are going to, are possibly, you know, what possible solutions you have um, for the problem that you have and you assess it and see, because if there is any chance, any chance that you can do whatever it is that needs to be done so you can make the next round of racing, I'm the guy that's all over it. I don't care. And I'll dive in with anybody to help. Them. Oh, yeah. I've been a part of those kind of, you know, thrashes, too, even if it's just a matter of holding a, you know, a valve train tray so people can stack stuff on it. You know, you get in to help out just to you don't get in the way, but you get into, you know, what do you need me to do? And you jump in to help. And it it's all about trying to make sure someone can make the next round. It doesn't matter if it's someone you're racing, someone in a different class, whatever. You want to see everybody keep going. Oh, absolutely. Because there's nothing worse than winning because somebody didn't show up to the staging lanes, right? Um, I want to beat everybody, but I want to beat them on the racetrack. Don't get me wrong. I know that that's not always going to happen. And there are times where it just is what it is. You've got to make the run, you know, even though your competitor didn't make it. Um, but man, I'll give every opportunity. I mean, if you, if I'm, if I'm lining up against you with rare exception, there are a couple of guys that I would give a finger to on that one, but, but 99.999% of the people, I would say, you just need to tell me how long you need me to stall yep. because I yep. will be the guy in the staging lanes. That's like, Hey, the muffler bearing is falling off. I think I need to fix that before I go down the racetrack, you know? Um, and, and I think that most people are that way. Oh, we've we've held up in the pits as long as we can. We've got up there and taken our sweet time getting a car ready. Um, we've even clicked off in the burnout box waiting for someone to get a car started and, you know, had a starter MF us and say that we're he's going to double DQ us. And you know what? If that's, you know, you're going to ride it right up to that line, but you want to wait, you know, and run somebody. You know, you really, really do. And that's just, you know, again, it's, it's part of that uh, that, that warrior nature that racers have. 
Oh, yeah. And, and you know, one you know, a good example of that is on the first season of the 10K Drag Shootout, you know, I, I know a lot of people thought that it was convenient or, or fake or whatever that we had a break issue on the on beer money right before the final round. But that that was 100 percent not scripted and 100 percent truthful. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is Eric Yost had been under the car. Um, he had been under the car wiping off the the transmission and the floorboards and the converter and everything because we were spraying them with water to cool everything down and so he was under there drying everything up and making sure everything was good and he slid out from under the car and when he did he reached out and grabbed the the passenger side front wheel to sort of lift himself up off the ground and noticed that it didn't spin <laughs> and uh and we look at each other and he grabs hold of it and tries to spin it and it would barely move and um it turns out that during the build process we had swapped spindles partway through the build process because they were the wrong spindles that were on the car for the brake kit that we had um but when we did that we didn't reevaluate the spacing and so the calipers were offset on the rotor. And so the caliper had crashed into the rotor um, at the edge and it had literally galled the thing up and locked it up. So that was one of the reasons we had had so much trouble leaving the starting line. So I immediately dive under there. We thrash, we get the things centered up with some washers and stuff and get it free. And, uh, and we get, you know, get it done in a few minutes. They're yelling at us that we have to go to the staging lanes. We're yelling at them that we will when we're ready. They're saying we're making everybody else go. So they sent Dwayne and them up there. And I literally threw my wallet out from under the car at Jeff Brandenburg from Dykes and Strippers and said, dude, take a $100 bill out of that and go to the staging lanes and pay somebody not to pull into the staging lanes. That's one of the people that has to run before us because we were the very last pair. So he goes running up there to do that. And there was a guy in a four-eye Fox body Mustang like Beer Money that he caught and said, Hey, we, you know, we need you to stall. And the guy's like, hell yeah, for a fellow Fox body guy, we're in, you know? And so it turns out that we were fine because somebody else had a problem on the racetrack and it delayed it. And we got up there in plenty of time, but the guy gave me the hundred dollar bill back and said, Hey, us four I Fox body guys have to stick together. So, you know, don't worry about it. Um, which made me laugh, but you know, uh, you do what you got to do, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. You see, I was on the other end of that deal because I'm up, you know, I'm covering the event and covering the race. And, like, I have a radio on me and I'm hearing all this radio chatter about where are these guys at, what's going on. You know, everybody across the board's freaking out. The track people are freaking out because if anybody oh, yeah. has ever raced at Norwalk, you know that they run a military operation. That track is on point and they're rolling with or without you. So yeah. it was like this really, like, crazy dramatic moment when you guys rolled around the corner and like you know it was like the the music kind of scratches and stops or a wedding gets interrupted it was just you know it totally played into it it made me laugh when i saw all these people oh it was faked up for drama no 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 it wasn't trust me they were about yeah. to get tossed oh yeah and, and kurt johnson you know who was running the event is a good friend of mine and you know, he's blowing my phone up while I'm laying under the car trying to fix this thing. You know, I got Biggin on one side of the car. I got Jason Smith and Bailey on the other side of the car. And I am literally rolling back and forth under the car from one side to the other to hold shims and do this. And I bash my forehead, get this big cut on my head. And, um, and you know, we don't care. We're running. Well, I get up to the starting line. And now I've been laying in water and grease and everything. I mean, I look horrible. Oh, you look like a homeless person. Oh, I did. It was bad. And, and Kurt's like, dude, where have you been? I've been calling you. I'm like, I was laying under the car for the love of God, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it was just one of those deals where, um, yeah, I mean, if they'd have kicked us out, they would have kicked us out because there wouldn't have been nothing we could do about it. We got up there as quickly as we possibly could. And, um, and it was, whew, it was drama filled. That's for sure. And, and the best part was that, um, Melissa, um, you know, Lyle's fiance was on the phone with Lyle's dad, who wasn't there. He couldn't be there, which was the first time he was never there for Lyle to race. So she's on the phone with him, telling him what was the problem. I'm getting Lyle in the car. 
he's wound up. I'm like, dude, just calm down and drive. Everything's fine. Um, but you know, make sure you're ready on the brakes. Cause I don't know what, if anything we've done is bad. Something's going to happen. Cool. <laughs> we yeah. just don't know what. Uh, and I'm like, pull the parachute for sure. He's like, okay, well, his dad is asking Melissa, did they fix the brakes? And she's asking me, did you fix the brakes? And I'm like, sure, we fixed the brakes, you know? And, uh, and, and then Mark asks her when she says, Chad says, sure. He says to her, sure. Like, you know, they're fixed or sure. We're not really sure. And I just looked at her and nodded. Yes. <laughs> like, Oh my God, I hate you right now. You know, I'm like, he's going to be fine. It's no big deal. It'll be great. We got plenty of shutdown here. Yeah. You can grab you the sh- It'll be good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it turned out that he had, you know, the brakes worked great. Everything was fine. Um, but you know, it was one of those moments where you just, you just don't know what's going to happen at the drag strip until it happens, you know, and, and you just got to roll with it. And I think that's like what makes the 10 K drag shootout cool is because it is pretty much literally nothing, but you don't know what's going to happen moments from the second, the first wrench is turned until the last pass is made because it's, it's so hard for people to really like understand, even just seeing the show, the level of insanity that goes on from start to finish. Oh no. And, and, you know, this year, I don't know how much we're allowed to talk about here on the podcast. Um, like, can I talk about anything that actually happened or do we have to wait? Because I know that I don't know when that episode's coming out compared to this. It's coming out in two weeks. This is going to go live probably tonight or tomorrow. So can't okay. talk about anything that like happened in the pits per se or anything right. like that. Keep it real high level. OK, gotcha. So. You know, one of the things that people don't understand, and especially at one of Ducks races, is that, you know, we were originally scheduled to run, let's say, just as an example, at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then it's still 10 o'clock at night before we get to run, right, because of delays and all kinds of stuff. So what people don't understand sometimes is that they think, well, you had all day sitting in the pits, but you, you think that you are you know, going to run any minute, you think you've checked everything you, you, you have, you've double checked everything. You've done every repair you can, you know, and you sit around and wait and wait and wait. And then sometimes you get up there to the starting line and stuff doesn't go right. And, uh, and there was plenty of that this year, um, for us. I mean, it felt so like, uh, last year, I can't even tell you. (laughs) Oh, we we had that conversation during the live interview. I'm like, dude, this is teeing up just like last year. And it, it did it quite literally did oh yeah and uh you know it was fun um it the 10k drag shootout is a neat thing this year was very different than the first year um because of the fire um god we're out so much extra time so much extra money um you know it really it had so many moments where it wasn't anywhere near as fun as the first year um, and just made us question repeatedly, why the hell are we even doing this? Um, but with that said, our team, I mean, we, we, you know, there are some times when Lyle and I get wound up every once in a while and, and it ain't good, but, um, but overall, um, God, we just, we still, it's heads down, smiling, laughing, having a good time. Because if we're not having fun doing it, we're out. We are not going to do it. It's just not worth it. Well, what I think is cool is you guys all, got, you know, due to the, you know, you know, the, the thermal event, everybody got to keep their cars. And I'm hearing a lot of rumblings about these cars squaring off yet again in different circumstances and whatnot. And I think that just kind of adds to the almost to the legend of all this that, you know, people, you know, sometimes you'll see cars built on shows or built and you never really see them again these things get beat on constantly <laughs> you know dr Rodknocker's oh, yeah. been filmed street racing in louisiana beer money's been on tv you know like i said there's there's other instances where these cars are going to come back out and i think that's just going to keep things you know interesting and it's just going to build on the legend of this show oh yeah the nobody nobody knows this yet um but we have been given an opportunity to come race all the cars, including the cars from last season, um, during an event uh, that is coming up this summer 
uh, and I, I don't want to say anything about it until I talk to everybody, but, um, but I, I think we can probably get a class sponsor to throw up, you know, a thousand or $2,000 for the winner. And then maybe everybody that shows up throws in 500, you know, to a thousand dollars, um, and winner take all kind of thing. So, um, stay tuned for an announcement on that, uh, after I talk to some of the teams, but I can tell you that, um, that, you know, we, we definitely would want to do it with the moonshine missile and, uh, and, you know, beer money has a radiator. Um, it is a streetcar. Um, the radiator is, um, is pretty good. It's not really set for doing long distance stuff, but I think we could, uh, make a few tweaks and, uh, and make beer money ready for that as well. So we'll see. It could be fun. You could see um, a shootout of epic proportions. <laughs> oh, that, that would be so badass on so many levels because each of those cars are like, they're, they, you know, you have the characters on the show, but then the cars themselves are just their characters. You look at them no matter what, and they all just have their own kind of vibe to them. And, it, you know, it's, it's really awesome for sure. Oh, yeah. And I don't know, um, you know, I don't know, but, you know, maybe it's possible for some of the old team to come back and even get to drive their cars, even though they don't own them uh, anymore. I, I don't know. Um, that that could be interesting. Uh, obviously, the first year, year, you know, the only people that got to take the car home was us. And then Dean bought, you know, Dr. Rodnocker back from the guy that won it. Um, but uh, who knows? Maybe we can make something happen. We'll see. Over the next uh, week or two, I'll... Uh, I'll figure this out and I will keep you posted. I'll, I'll let you know so that you know what's happening and you can announce it to everybody here as well. Oh, that'd be awesome for sure. That'd be a great story to kind of, you know, see that come back for sure. Just like I said, just because of getting to watch what the teams go through as well, really kind of, I think, again, you don't, you see the, the shows on, you know, the different channels like Fast and Loud and, you know, all these other build shows. But to me, it's not the same like, intensity that you see in the 10k shootout just because it's you know it's, it's like they used to say the ufc it's as real as it gets oh yeah and, and you know i've been involved in several very fast builds right um you know i i worked with brett vocal back in the day um and, and a group of people included a buddy of mine scott payton to plan and execute the very first 48 hour build that that we did um we built the 48 hour camaro which was a pro touring car that was you know we we drove a, a 67 camaro into the shop um that needed everything done to it except paint and bodywork. it was already a pretty nice looking car um but it was completely stock and in 47 hours and change um we disassembled the car put entirely new suspension plumbing plumbing wiring interior stereo air conditioning ls swap transmission from american powertrain all new rear suspension and rear axle assembly every single component on the car was replaced except paint and body and we did it in 47 hours and change with a group of you know people that was i don't know 15 or 16 actual you know, team members working on the car. Um, and they were working in groups of four to six. Um, and it was crazy. And we built it and we drove it all the way to Nashville from Indiana and we raced the hell out of it. And it's still running today and it's gone through a million tires and multiple engines and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I'm used to thrashing on stuff quick, but you know, you, you go through those and, and you, you plan and you do everything you can to execute them um, you know, for 10 K there's only the six of us to plan and execute. And so, um, our team, luckily we have such a breadth of knowledge between all of us. And I think the perfect attitude for doing this kind of thing. So I, I think we are uniquely qualified to be able to, you know, to pull something like this off. Um, and, and you know, not to take away anything from any of the other teams, cause obviously they, you know, succeeded in making cars that, um, you know, went down the racetrack. Um, but I, you know, I truly believe in my team. And I think that, you know, Eric Yost, Biggin is, is the guy that, 
um, leads a team better than anybody else. And, and that guy is, you know, on his own, he could build a damn car in a couple of weeks, I swear. <laughs> well, I think what's what crazy, what kind of shows what all you deal with on, during the 10K was the transmission issues you guys had. Because I remember when all that went down and there was just there was a lot of questions in the air whether that car was going to move under its own power or not because you guys were literally tearing your hair out trying to figure out what that problem was. And it just it's very hard for that to fully come across on film unless you were there and feeling feeling the tension in the air. Yeah, and I don't think that anybody can even remotely understand just how frustrating that was for us. We built the transmission that was in Beer Money from scratch in the shop. Um, there, you know, at Power Auto Media um, for year one, uh, we bought a trans brake from Summit and, you know, built the transmission, put it together. Biggin was literally on the phone with one of his transmission buddies to, you know, verify a couple of things and some measurements and stack heights and stuff and, and all of that as he put it together. And, and it worked and it's been great. But, you know, on, on the missile, we bought a you know, a wore out race transmission. And when I say race transmission, I mean, it was a stock case with a, you know, a, a trans brake valve body in it. And, you know, otherwise we didn't know much about it. And unfortunately the rules committee was just so hard on us about the thing. And they're like, well, it has a trans brake in it. I'm like, yeah, the one I submitted to you is this transmission. And it clearly says right there in the ad, it is an old race transmission with a trans brake in it, you know? And, they, you know, wanted to charge us seven or eight or a hundred or a thousand dollars. I don't remember now, you know, for the stupid thing. And um, everybody just, you know, oh, you guys trying to sneak something in. Meanwhile, the Dream Team, you know, buys a Mark Mickey built transmission um, and puts it in there. Um, you know, the Aussies got to get their transmission that was broken, fixed by somebody else, um, you know, for them. And, and here we are. We struggled and struggled and struggled. And uh, and yet everybody still thought that somehow this was some sneaky, great transmission. And um, and I'll tell you that uh, that transmission is out of the car um, because it is junk right now. And, uh, you know, the valve body's good, but there isn't much else that's worth a damn in it. And uh, and it, and it was it was so frustrating to deal with that. And like you said, we had the transmission out of that thing three or four times. And, uh, and it just is one of those things, you know, you're thrashing and you're trying to do everything on a budget. And unfortunately, because of those budget constraints, that's what we had to roll with. You know, we didn't have any option. Oh yeah. The, the budget constraints are definitely interesting. And just the, the like uh, the whole premise of the show, I find fascinating. And what was funny is when we, we get presented with the rule revisions each year internally to figure them out. And I look at them from a pure racer's perspective on, Where's the gray area? How can I bend these just enough where I'm not breaking them, but they can't bust me? And that, again, to me, that's part of the uh, the entire spirit of drag racing is you, you find a competitive edge that no one else, you know, necess you know, necessarily been able to find. Oh yeah, and and you know, I I look at it, and and you know, I've expressed that I would like to be involved. You know, obviously, I host other videos and other horsepower wars series with you guys, and. And I've, you know, told everybody I'd really like to be involved in, in, you know, the 10K drag shootout for next year. And I think that, you know, as a former competitor in the series, I, you know, bring another level of understanding to the party. And, and I believe that there are several things that can be improved upon to make this even better, you know, in years to come, not only for the viewers, but for the competitors and everybody else. Um, and, it, and it's stuff that you learn as you go through, but, but you're right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a racer. I've, I've raced a lot of drag racing, road racing, land speed racing. I mean, all of it. And I always look at the rules, not for what's written on the page, but what isn't. Exactly. You know? And so I, I think that that makes you a person that can constantly revise in order to make sure that there are less and less gray areas, but you're never going to get rid of all of them because that's why racers are who they are. Yeah. Oh, and, and I think again, bringing someone in that's, you know, either a former racer or been a part of something, you know, there's a reason why in cybersecurity, they hire hackers to build better security systems because they know they understand weak points and that's why I think you see a lot of ex, you know, racers eventually end up in, in rule generation areas because they, they, you know, they've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. 
Oh yeah, exactly. And you know, it's um, it's interesting because the more rules there are, the more opportunity there is to cheat. <laughs> um, and it sounds funny to say that, but it's true, right? If you have a race class where you go, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter. Anything goes. Um, but you got to put it all through this tire um, and you can only have a turbocharger that's this size. Well, then you've just limited it, right? You can, you've limited the amount of power they can make and how much they can put down by tire size so anything else goes. Then there really isn't any way to cheat because everything's wide open. But when you start adding 10 or 20 or 30 or 150 rules to that, then it gives more and more opportunity to cheat because there are more rules to be broken. So it's kind of funny that the more unlimited it is, um, the less you sort of have to worry about it in some ways. Uh, obviously, you're building something on a budget like this. You can't do that, but um, but it would be interesting if you could. Che- Cheating is an ugly rule. It's creative rules interpretation. It just sounds yeah, more polished. Hey, everything that we build race cars out of will bend. Yeah. Every single thing. I mean, then they'll break, but they'll bend quite a way. So, you know, I figure it's the same way with race car rules, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned Lee, and speed stuff. One of my friends here locally, he used to go down to Wilmington for the ECTA stuff. And that's a whole different, like, universe. It, it's so hard to for people to understand, like, what those guys do and how they do it. And when it comes to rules and tech and whatnot, the land speed record guys, I think they hold the ward for – most likely to drop you on your head if you're caught violating rules. Oh yeah. The, um, there are a few rules written in the, in the SCTA, uh, rule book for Bonneville that are, uh, that have my name on, um, and, uh, or our team's name on them, I should say. And, uh, yeah, they frown upon, they frown upon breaking the rules. Um, they yell and scream a lot too about, rules they think you've broken um and they they yell and scream even more when you point out that that's not how the rule was written so if that's what you meant then you should have got somebody that understood the english language a little bit better um they they don't appreciate that very much but i'm that guy i I point out i i love to point out how i followed your rule you were just too uh dumb to know that your rule was not a rule (laughs) yeah that's pretty much like, you know, what Larry Larson did to the guys up at the No Prep Kings was they thought they'd be sneaking, be able to write out his combination. And Larry Larson said, hold my hold my mustache, go and watch this. And he straight jacked them up with that, you know, pulling tractor turbo. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, when Larry and I built the S10 to go on Drag Week, we, you know, we built that truck um, with the intention being that they would outlaw it and only allow it to run one year which is the dumbest thing ever to do as a builder of a car. But we believed and still believe that them letting all these pro mod cars into drag week is just stupid. Um, so we, we believe in a much more normal street car. So we went all the way to the edge and obviously we, you know, beat everybody, but um, with that thing and, and all the no prep stuff and everything else, I mean, the thing is just crazy, but the, the interesting thing is like you said, they didn't want the twins, so he put the giant single on. They were mad because the wheelbase on the truck doesn't match the body style. So then they all got into this whole speculation and rumor that all the body wasn't real and all this stuff. Well, the the S10, the nose is a pro stock, you know, nose, okay? Pro stock truck nose. Nobody in their right mind is going to think otherwise, right? But the cab of the truck is an absolute GM with a VIN number S10 pickup truck cab, the doors that are on it on the street are steel doors with roll-up windows and the whole thing. Um, on the racetrack, we swap them out for carbon doors with you know double latches and and you know Lexan windows and all that because that's what you need at that you know speed level. Um, but the bedsides are at our factory GM bedsides. I mean. That that's what they are, and uh, and so is the tailgate. And and when they said, okay, but your wheelbase is for an extra cab truck, but this is a standard cab truck, all that wheelbase gain is in the nose because the nose is stretched out. You know, that's how they come. Um, but so I said, okay, well then let's just make it a long bed truck. 
extend the bed sides. They didn't say we had to have the wheels in the, you know, original orientation. They just said the wheelbase had to be right. So that's when we did the extend a bed on the thing, uh, you know, which was originally out of duct tape and everything, which was great. Um, and they were real pissed about that. They didn't think that was cool at all. Um, but they had done the rule. They had put it out there publicly and they really couldn't change it without looking like, you know, pricks otherwise. Yeah. And then the caddy comes out, which he put, he showed me a picture of that thing parked next to, you know, a, a, a real deal, you know, ATS. And it's just crazy that all those body panels are off a stock car, essentially. Absolutely. Um, the, the pictures was the one that you saw with it next to the stock one, another blue one. Yeah. Yeah. So my son Cole shot all those photos. Um, at No Prep Kings in Dallas and um, this last year. And me and my dad and Cole were there, you know, crewing for Larry and, and working on the car. And um, and these people came up with that one that was, you know, their hot-rotted, you know, stock one, quote-unquote. And, yeah, they are incredibly similar. The, you know, the, the body just has not been modified. What people don't understand is that all of these new cars – have such big wheels and tires on them now um, that you can stuff a huge amount of wheel and tire under the back of these things without cutting the wheel wells up like you used to. You yeah. know, um, new cars are significantly larger than old cars. Um, you know, a new Camaro is way bigger than a 69 Camaro. Um, and, you know, you look at like a fifth gen Camaro, like, you know, Tom McGilton's, you know, ZL1 that is epic that thing is all stock body panels on that thing as well and the rear wheel wells weren't changed even a little bit to hold that 33 inch tall hoosier tire you know and in fact the front wheel wells um are so big that larry had to run a 28 inch tall tire on them just to fill it so it didn't look out of place you know i mean it's it is kind of entertaining to see just how um much you can stuff inside a new car because they're just so much bigger than you think. So much room for activities. Yes, exactly. You know, it's it's funny when you start looking at stuff like that. And um, after being at the race, I, I was actually talking with Rob Goss for some uh, some possible you know project ideas I have bouncing around in my mind. And you know, I'm LS guy. It's what I run. GM family. And I've been kind of dreaming up different swaps that I could use a, a Gen three Hemi with. So you start poking around on the internet and you start realizing, you know, just how much space some of these vehicles actually have. And then you start looking at cars that normally don't have engines like that. You're like, hey, I wonder if that'll fit. I wonder if a Jag, an XJ Jag, I can stuff this Hemi in there. I wonder how that'll work. You just, yeah. You, you start looking at stuff like that and you realize how much space there is, especially if you're not bound to a specific setup for class racing. Well, then you just get out the plasma cutter and have a good old fun time. Well, you know what the great example of that stuff is over the years that n normal people never paid attention to is, you know, NHRA Superstock and Competition Eliminator, right? Some of the best door slammer drag racing on earth. And, oh, yeah. And, and even Stock Eliminator, um, you know, the original small tire drag racing. Sorry, radial guys. Um, you know how much I love radial racing, but that isn't what started small tire drag racing. NHRA Stock Eliminator ran on seven inch slicks and then now nine inch slicks for a hundred years, you know, not literally, but figuratively speaking. And, um, you know, the, the super stock guys, though, when the GT categories came out where you could take an old engine combo and put it in a newer late model car, man, that was great because you could do front wheel drive conversions even. So you were seeing all these little cars getting made into rear wheel drive, big tire hot rods. And, and, you know, there's plenty of guys now that are doing that and nobody even thinks about it. Like you take a cobalt and, uh, you know, and make it into a really cool drag car. And it was a front wheel drive car. It holds an LS no problem in the front. I mean, yeah, you got to do a little work to the firewall, but you're not talking about completely gutting a car to make this happen. I mean, these things are doable. You can leave the front struts in them if you really wanted to, all that kind of stuff, and build a car 
that never would have come with a V8 before into something cool. Yeah, it's not like you're trying to take, you know, and stuff a Hemi in an old Dodge Colt like they used to for pro stock or, you know, other classes. You know, it's a... Right, it's which, a, by the way, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you see some of those cars and it, it's... It, it's scary. It's like, man, you, that engine's like, you know, practically your passenger at that point. But I'm a huge stock, super stock and super comp fan. So, yeah, seeing those those cars that you normally wouldn't see as a rear-wheel drive platform, is it's definitely cool for sure with all the variety you'll see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, it's, it's cool. Um, it's cool to see what creative things people do because we all get, you know, sort of numb to all the standard, right? I mean, you go to, you know, you go to Lights Out, you go to Ducks Race, and there's 8 billion Fox body Mustangs, right? Like more than Ford made, right? I mean, they're all there. And, uh, and, and obviously, you see a lot of G bodies and, and old Camaros and old Mustangs and everything. When you see something that is unique, it stands out, like it really makes you go and want to check it out. Because, it's not the norm and and that's getting um to me that's getting more and more interesting because it seems to be a lot of monkey see monkey do in the race world and so everybody goes with body styles that you know they see work for somebody else i always like seeing somebody that comes out with something different oh yeah i i'm full of terrible ideas on engine swaps where i'm pretty sure my coworkers question my sanity on stuff i want to do i'm like let's put a rotary in a c4 corvette they're like yeah, what could possibly go wrong? They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, let's put a Subaru in a third-gen Camaro. Why? Yeah. What's wrong with you? I'm like, it'll be fun, and no one's done it. And everybody will hate us for it, so why not? It, you it, know? Yeah, exactly. It's like the guy that put the LS in the old Cuda. I'm pretty sure that guy has to have an armed bodyguard at all times because the Mopar people just want to set him on fire. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Or, you know, the DeMarco brothers, you know, taking a Grand National and, you know, stuffing a insert whatever power adders you know twin turbo the blower in it and you know the david's reaction you know I'll, I'll have to clean it up here is he would tell people to go pound sand and that's the nice way and anybody that knows that yeah. the marco brothers knows that it was probably a lot less uh refined of an answer is that but again it, you know it's they tell people this is what i want to do you don't like it i don't care it's my car right exactly yeah yeah, they they use more colorful language like me. I'm on my best behavior today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely you know on the uh, on this on the little uh, you know weekly chart you're gonna get a gold star because I've, it's been yeah. it's been impressive. Like you, you, I'm gonna put you in the same rare as air as duck when I had him on the show and he behaved himself for an entire hour and I was I was impressed. Oh my god, I haven't got a gold star since I was like in sixth grade, dude. I'm so excited. Well, I can't tell you. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm all about turning frowns upside down and you know just making everybody have a good time. You know, That's awesome. you know we're getting to that point of the show where we're starting to wind things down and i like to i like to have fun and ask fun questions so sure. what is the one class of drag racing car that you know you would go yeah i'll pass on driving that is there anything you pass on driver riding because different racers give different answers and i have my own but is there anything where you're just like you know i'm good watching that i appreciate it but i don't want any of that mess Huh. You know, that's a, huh, that's a good question. No, I, in drag racing, I, you know, I've driven pro stock cars and I've driven, um, a, a lot of other big tire, small tire, everything cars. Um, I have not driven a funny car, either nitro or alcohol. Um, I have not driven a, you know, top alcohol or top fuel dragster. I've driven, you know, top dragsters and super comp dragsters, but, um, you know, and I have not driven a pro mod yet. Um, although hopefully this year I'll be driving the truck and or the Cadillac. Um, but the, I don't really have a car I wouldn't drive. There is no chance in hell you would get me on a pro stock motorcycle or a top fuel Harley. Um, this, this fat guy would just roll down the racetrack when I fell off of that thing, and I am out. There is no way well, I am doing that. But car-wise, I'm in. I'll, I'll drive anything. And when I say I'll drive anything, I will drive any class of vehicle. But, um, but there have been plenty of cars over the years where I've sat in one and said, nope, I'm not driving it. Because my thing isn't, am I willing to drive this car? My thing is, am I willing to crash it? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it needs to be, is it going to survive? And am I going to survive in it if something goes really bad? And you and I both know that in every category, we've seen cars that just are put together with chewing gum and epoxy. And you think, wow, I can't believe that even goes down the racetrack. I, I'm, I'm out on that kind of thing. But but no, if I had the opportunity to drive it, I'll pretty much drive anything. See, it, it's funny, you know, that some of the professional level drivers, you know, they, they don't want any of that ProMod smoke at all. But a lot of them are, you know, they're not, they're a fan of, you know, a lot of the pro stock guys are, are happy where they're at. But the Nitro Harley thing seems to be the biggest level of like racers are like, you know what, I'm good. I'll watch, you know, those guys do it. And there are those guys, when you see them at the track, you know a Nitro Harley racer when you see them. And props to oh, those guys. Dude, if you walk through the grocery store and a Nitro Harley rider goes by you in an aisle, you know it. Those guys are missing a certain chromosome. And they're like, there's a, if you do a CT scan on them, there's a giant chunk of brain missing. I don't know what it is, but those dudes march to the beat of a different drummer and, and, you know, God bless them, but no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At Indy this year, I was actually shooting trackside with one of those things ate up an engine. And I'm standing trackside, and one, it scared the hell out of me. And two, I felt the concussion. And in the back of my mind, that thing rolls down. I'm like, there's a human sitting on that. So I felt it from over here. God knows what that dude felt sitting on there. You know? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'll watch from a distance. Yeah, I've always said that those guys carry their stones around in a wheelbarrow in front of them, and they're giant and made out of stainless steel, so they clang when they walk. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no way. Dude. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm a fan of any vehicle that you can't, you know, be on it when it they when they try to start it. That right there tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's where I'm like, you know, that's that that's God's way of saying maybe this isn't the best of ideas, but you know, y'all have fun. Yeah. No, I'm a roll cage guy. I want a roll cage. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> you know, I've at a very, you know, in my teenage years, I took a pretty gnarly spill on a dirt bike and I pretty much swore off anything on two wheels for a very, very long time. And I still carry that respect. Even when I'm riding my little pit bike of doom with, you know, a 212 CC, uh, predator engine from, uh, Harbor Freight on it. I even remind myself, this thing's fun to crack the throttle wide open, but just remember what could happen when things go wrong. Oh, dude, I, I'm with you because my I have a I have a no suspension old school doodlebug mini bike. Yeah, that's what that I got. Has, yeah, that has um, a, the next size up Predator from that, the 300 and whatever it is CC. Um, and I've been clocked on the salt at Bonneville. <laughs> um, by officials on, on the return road uh, doing 63 miles an hour on that thing. And, and it's not set up to be top speed. It just, that's how fast it goes apparently. Um, and it's, it's scary. It is, it does the best big boy burnouts and it is a riot to ride, but it scares you every time you twist the throttle. <laughs> my, my, my buddy that helps me on my scar, car, Scott Cordell put it the best. He said, it's not that bad once you get past the death wobble. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly and i looked at him and i said you know what that's probably a, an indicator of a potential problem with the death wobble is like the line of demarcation when things start going right that's yeah yeah it's like maybe we need to reevaluate this but yeah it still works screw it yeah exactly it'll be fine yeah you know that, that's one of those things where i'm willing to accept a certain level of sketch but you know when it comes to safety you know i tend not to joke around i look at things, you know, being as safe as possible. And I think, you know, what happened with Ryan Newman is, you know, the perfect example of why you should never take safety as a joke ever. Oh God, no. And, and you know, I look at the, um, you know, I, I look at the, the, the safety, you know, advancements over the years. And it makes me shake my head when you have people that don't, take advantage of them um you know when when cole was younger he asked one time about daphne when we when i put her in the car and she's you know shoes pants you know jacket like well she had a one-piece suit actually so you know fire suit on um you know helmet collar everything right um and he's like you know her car only runs 12s all she has to have is a jacket and a helmet and i'm like yeah you know the fire doesn't care it doesn't care how fast or slow you're going. 
And so this is what we do. We wear it all. And I, now he knows, and he's the same way. I mean, I, I wear a next gen uh, head and neck restraint every time I get in a car. I have a really nice DJ pyrotech carbon helmet that I wear every time. Um, I wear my DJ, you know, fire suit and I wear gloves and shoes every time. And, and I've always been that way. But, you know, after becoming friends with Lyle Barnett, um, you know, Lyle and I are really close and, and he is an absolutely awesome um, ambassador for safety, you know, fire systems and all that. But, um, you know, because he's lived through it firsthand. He was the guy that went down the racetrack with his visor open. And, and you know, that's why he's got the burns on his face. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you don't think about the little stuff, um, but I'm a big proponent of it. I push it hard, hard, hard. Um, and I rip on guys that'll spend 10 grand for a set of cylinder heads um, to go a tenth of a second quicker, but who don't want to spend $189 for a Motion Raceworks engine diaper. Those guys, I have no room for them. They're idiots. Engine diapers or guys I see trying to race with their belts not being tight. I mean, that just you, – you, you notice stuff like that when you're shooting pictures, and it just that terrifies me. Absolutely terrifies me because even in a 10-second car, if something bad happens and you're not belted, and go watch some in-car cameras of crashes, and it will make you think twice about you know not pulling those belts so tight you're uncomfortable. Oh, 100%. Um, it's, it's one of those things where the, the, the first time I got in a pro stock car, I was at Roy Hill school and Hank Hill was, um, you know, my lead instructor. And the first time I was gonna, you know, make a real hit in the car, he leans in and, and this dude's six, four or five or something. He's a big boy. And he leans in there and he puts all his weight tugging the belts tight on me. And I squeaked and went, oh, my God, that hurts. And he looked at me and patted me on the chest and said, well, if you do it right, you're only going to have to hold your breath for about 30 seconds. So let's go. You know, and uh, and I rolled into the water, did the burnout. And when I left the starting line, you feel the belts, how loose they are. I mean, you know, you're talking about a car that's leaving with three G's and it's like, dude, this this is like the belts are no longer tight because your body is not solid. <laughs> you know, it's a giant, you know, bag of water and it squishes. And so you, you need to be real tight or else you're not going to stay in it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's, I, I've seen videos of stuff where it's gone wrong and it's, it just, it really makes you, you think twice. And, you know, even after I, I pull my belts pretty darn tight even before I do a burnout. And then even afterwards, before I, you know, do my final check of everything, I give, you know, those things an extra couple of rips just to be a hundred percent sure. And it's just, it's force of habit. It is. And that's what it needs to be, right? It needs to be habit because that's how you don't forget it. Right. Um, it, it, that goes for anything you do in life. If you make it a habit, if you make it a routine, you train yourself to do it every time you won't forget. Well, you know, we had a, you've had a few pretty, you know, big name bracket racers on the podcasting people like Lou Bogacki. And he says the same thing that, you know, you make, you go through a routine when you're a bracket racer and it's, it's the same deal. You know, you, you just, you're running through your checklist and one of the last things you're going to do before you do everything else is make sure those belts are cranked extra, extra tight. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because the bracket race world is arguably some of the worst with regards to safety. And I'm not saying that to dig on anybody, you know, how much stuff I do in the bracket race world. And I love those guys, but you know, you're in a car and you're trying to look over your shoulder to see where the guy is next to you. So you can drive the stripe. Right. And so it's real easy to get complacent and loosen the belts enough that you can get a better twist, right? Or, or to not wear a head and neck restraint and instead just wear a collar because it allows you to turn your head easier. Those are really, um, you know, that's a scenario where it's easy to fall into that trap of not having everything the way you need it to be. And, um, and so I commend the guys that are very particular about making sure that they're in there and that they have mirrors in the car or whatever else is needed so that they can be belted in tight. Because 
while it's rare for a super comp dragster or a top dragster to end up on its lid, when they do, it's not pretty. Those things tend to pencil roll. That's not a good place to be. No. And that's one of the things I've, I've actually looked into with my, you know, the project I'm building is I'm going to line that, you know, roll bar with as many mirrors as I can <laughs> based on the rules and leave the side view mirrors on so I can make sure that I'm not having to do anything weird because at that point too, even if you make a little mistake, accidentally blip the wheel, you know, you're about to have a bad day. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, people seem to sometimes get complacent because they, you know, say, Oh, well, I'm a really good driver. Um, and, and that's all well and good. And, and, you know, but if you race enough, it's not when you're going to have a, a, you know, a crash or an incident um, or, or not if, but when, you know, and I mean, I've been, I've been crashed in road racing. I've been run into, I've done the running into, um, I've been fortunate enough not to crash anything on a drag strip, knock on wood. Um, but you know, that stuff happens and that's why you want to make sure that you've got the right safety gear. So you're not going to become a statistic, you know, and, and don't do stupid things like leave the pins in your fire bottles for the love of God. Yeah. I mean, what the hell, you know, Can't, common sense is not common practice, right? That is very true. My friend very true. <laughs> Well, Chad, our time here on the podcast is coming to an end, and uh, I like to give my guests their, their opportunity to uh, bang their sponsors, talk about what they got going on, and basically do their best John Force impersonation. So I will uh, I will gladly turn the floor over to you so you can uh, spread the gospel about what uh, what you got going on. Well, I appreciate it, Brian, and thanks for having me on here. You know, um, uh, obviously I'm one of the owners of bangshift.com, and if you're looking for great content go check it out you know we're big fans of drag scene and we've always got good stuff on bang shift as well and um you know you got a lot of internet to to go check out so make sure bang shift is on your daily routine uh also want to thank you know all of my sponsors uh you know holly efi couldn't do what i do without them those guys have been amazing race pack and msd um on the moonshine missile um those guys helped us out a lot also want to thank Motion Raceworks, Line to Line, and K1. Um, we couldn't do it without you guys. It's it's uh, it's really humbling when you when you need help on a project or what have you. It is so humbling to have people like that that you can call and and get good support from. And so definitely appreciate it. Look for us to be at races all over the country. I am excited to uh, to be part of the Speed Video family on a few events this year. It looks like and. Uh, and definitely going to be out at the races. So if you're around, come say hi. Um, would love to say hi to everybody and see what everybody's doing. So thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll see you at the races later this year, Chad. Sounds good. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks to Chad for stopping by. And as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Till next time, folks.